I look okay? Yeah. Good. Because it's True Crime Tuesday. Welcome to Failure to Stop. Tonight, we're going to break down a case of an actual crime. Full disclosure, every single case that we've ever covered on True Crime Tuesday before now did not happen. It was just a fake story. That's right. Fiction brought to you by the likes of me. But tonight, an actual case that may sound familiar to you if you've been listening to the show on Tuesdays. Kendra? John. The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on this is Sunday. About the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, giddy up, Wolfpack. It's failure to stop. This is your favorite podcast. That's right, we're back. It's True Crime Tuesday. This is the show where we talk true crime cases with an actual former law enforcement officer. I know what you're thinking. Lots of people are former lots of things. But this is a former cop. It's always Jermaine, everybody. I'm joined, as always, by my ex-wife, Kendra Drama, a former sheriff's deputy who got involved in a lot of true crime stuff, both, both on the supply side and uh, on the solve side, she would do a lot of crimes as a cop, but she would solve a lot. She would arrest people, and then she would balance things out by going out and do their crimes while she's in jail. Very, very crooked cop. Uh, we, why do you think she's not a cop anymore? Could be possible. <laughs> she's crooked as fuck. And that's why she's on a podcast now. She was on the take all those years. Actually, uh, uh, I, I risk uh, running afoul of Kendra saying that because not only was she a damn good cop, better cop than me as it turns out <laughs> she comes from a long line of just lawmen isn't that right kendra yes i do and, and so i would hate to cast aspersions upon your lineage of of long long history of dramas upholding the constitution and the law and rightfully jailing and rightfully executing many men right there in the courthouse steps <laughs> Even though I'm just talking about like your literal fucking dad and he wasn't supposed to be executing people at the county courthouse. Whatevs. Uh, <laughs> he called it like he saw it. He got it done. That's all that matters. Saws it. <laughs> that's the kind of cop that Kendra was. And that's why she's not a cop now and she's on a podcast. Let's not look into this any further. Um, guys, Kendra leveled up. If you ask me, policing is super lame. I re Like last week, I literally went into, we had a dispatcher friend of mine. He was a former coworker. He literally uh, became a cop, right? Like there's a swearing in where the judge like makes them hold up their hand. Like, do you promise to up in the brightest day at blackest night? No evil shall escape your sight. Whatever evil enters your sight, beware your power. Something, something, be a cop. It's how the, the thing goes. And uh, I'm there and I'm surrounded by like all these state's attorneys and these clerks of courts and like the admin deputies are there and the sheriff is there. And he, he comes over, he comes to the table, and he's like, so glad that I came to support him on that day. Like, full disclosure, folks, I was there at the courthouse to get my license plates. Whatever. <laughs> Just happened to stumble upon it. <laughs> I happened to stumble upon it swearing in. And so he's like, you know, thanks for coming. It really means means a lot to me that you're supporting the start of my career. And I said, well, you know, to be honest with you, like, I understand that, well, like, what I do for a living is my dream career. And that to, to you, that's small time shit. 
And I've always said that being a police officer is a silly thing to do, but you know what? Whatever, man. And like, <laughs> like, like the state's attorney is literally right there listening to me say this to him, like, like telling him that becoming a cop is a silly endeavor. Uh, so the point is, is that Kendra has leveled up. She's doing something else now. She's following her dreams. She's going for a PhD in holistic medicine. She's going to become one of those people that can uh, that can uh, have you lay down and she rubs you with like petroleum jelly and then she like sticks you with needles and you have to give her 120 bucks at the end or like she charges you with defrauding an innkeeper. She's a genius, folks. She knows that the real the real money is just in like uh, telling people they need to drink more water and have a cleanse and, and, and she just gets paid. Uh, brilliant, Kendra. <laughs> She's like actually checking my pupil dilation right now to see if I am high on <laughs> You want me to get out a flashlight? I can follow it around, and I'm you can very, do fields. I can like field, this version of John. It's John at night, <laughs> and you could do you could do a field. We could do the internet's first live field sobriety test, like over a podcast. Okay, that sounds good. Um, I don't have my I don't have a flashlight. Damn. Damn we well, I guess that more. wouldn't be helpful. But uh, no, but I mean, I could do I I could do the little field kit. I guess I don't know how that worked because I was a dispatcher. Because like you're on scene, and then I'm asking you every five minutes if you're alive. But when you're doing a field sobriety test, like it's any, but you don't think it's you don't think that it's alcohol. Like obviously, at some point, they're whipping it out, peeing into a cup, and you're dipping, right? Um, that would have to be a dr a dre a drug yeah. expert. I never did any of that because I didn't go to the school. But so yes. why are you becoming a holistic person now if you know if you don't believe in drug drug recognition? <laughs> You're like telling people to eat mushrooms now, but you're like, you don't even know like the dark side of drugs. Why are you? I don't believe in drug recognition. I don't think it's real. <laughs> you don't believe in it. It's a concept that's, I can't with you. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's a very Aaron Rodgers take. I love it. And I don't even know if you get that reference, but uh, that work, that works for me. It doesn't matter. I know who Aaron Rodgers is. You've, I've heard of Aaron Rodgers. And he looks like, he looks like if um, John Krasinski and Steve Carell had a baby. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't really pay attention to him for his looks. All right, folks, this show is brought to you by Ghost Bed. If you sleep at night, don't be a chump. Sleep on a ghost bed. Go over to ghostbed.com. Use the offer code Wolfpack. That'll save you a bunch of money right now, possibly up to 50%. It's wild. Go over there, find out whatever the savings are. I'm going to be honest with you. The savings are out of control, whatever they are. Uh, they, they say that uh, capitalism is a bad system only because it can go so completely unchained that uh, our dollar can and our credit can be totally undermined by the savings that you can find over at ghostbed.com. Use the offer code Wolfpack <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, just like in the, in the 1920s, 0% down, 0% financing could get you all of your dreams and there will never be any repercussions. So even if you have, even if you have, <laughs> Even if you have the kind of a future dust bowl farmer, you could go over and get uh, a, a ghost bed. It sleeps so good, it's scary. I promise you, uh, Christopher Nolan style, Inception style sleep, where you're going to get layer upon layer upon layer of built in lasagna sleep. You're going to wake up feeling refreshed. You're going to have dreams of being asleep. And in those dreams, you're going to have dreams of like napping or something. It's super deep sleep. You're going to love it. Go over there, even if you can't afford a full bed, if it's not you know, plans for you right now to go out and purchase those things. It should be soon. And uh, you can just get a pillow or something. Like They have lots of stuff over there that's all going to work for you. So go over there. Go to GhostBed. Use the offer code WOLFPACK. That lets them know that you love failure to stop. That reminds them we should pay failure to stop. 
to keep mentioning us. That's how I get paid. And then, uh, you know, I, I kick back some of that money to Kendra. That's how it all works, folks. That's, that's capitalism for you. That's crony capitalism. That's how the podcast works. But if you love this podcast, and even if this isn't your favorite show, like we're actually all the same thing. So like if Friday's your thing, if Wednesday's your thing, uh, you know, I get paid. Just so go over there and whatever, just spend the money. <laughs> if you are someone that eats, I know you are. Folks, Factor Meals, I've been talking about them for weeks and weeks and weeks now. Now, some people in the Wolfpack do love Factor Meals. I am one of them. Kendra, as soon as she starts Factor Meals, we'll definitely love Factor Meals. <laughs> someone who loves to eat at home. You're, in fact, you're at home right now, aren't you? I am at home right now. Perhaps. It could have been a Factor Meal. That's all I'm saying. Kendra over here, you know, she uh, a bit of a chump. She probably just went to the grocery store. She probably walked around with a cart. Had all kinds of people bang into her. She wasted all kinds of time. Don't be like Kendra. Be like me. Have your food brought to your house. Reverse trick-or-treat style. It's a gift of the wise you now to the hungry you of the future. You're going to love it. 300 options <laughs> made by chefs. Brought right to your house. Throw them in the microwave. <laughs> They're delicious. Are you? Are you I could not encourage factor meals more. Folks, I may be overcompensating for a recent episode in which I was described as sleepy or bored. So I tried to really put uh, tansy level energies into it. Go over to Factor Meals. Oh, my God. <laughs> Is my microphone too loud? No, you just oh. you sound like a villain, like a, go a story over to, time villain. Go over to Factor Meals. Use the offer code Wolfpack50. You can save up to 50% off to start. Go over there and select whatever it is that you like best or whatever works for you for your diet. You're trying to change yourself, trying to change that body composition. You want to build some lean muscle mass, get some chicken, get some eggs, get some rice, build yourself up. You, you know, you really just want to like have a year where you don't care about yourself. Like I said, go full lasagna. Just get pasta. Just, you know, <laughs> just you can make that. You can make the spaghetti noodles and you can like just hang them over your face. And like whatever drips into your mouth. That's what you eat for dinner. Factor Meals can make that happen for you. So go over there, use the offer code Wolfpack50. Uh, we appreciate it. Also, uh, Zaps Chips. Uh, folks, this podcast is brought to you by Kendra's favorite chip. I say that because Kendra eats these chips every single day exclusively for every meal. Here, let me, let me put a... Nope, that was that to the end. Lean over. Sorry, I'm really far away from my microphone, so I can't talk when I do that. But uh, Zaps chips are the number one chip on earth. She loves these chips. Uh, they're they're like uh, what are they? What's the flavor of Voodoo, Kendra? They're like barbecue and salt and vinegar at the same time. Where do and you get kettle. this? They're kettle cooked, which is the most important part. They're crispy no matter what. In any situation, I don't care if you're in Seattle and it's the rainiest day of the year. You can open up a bag of 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 dry air puffed mylar bag of Zaps <laughs> chips. And it's going to be crunchy as fuck. And you're going to eat them chips. It's They're so good. And you can get them pretty much everywhere. You can get them anywhere you want because they're distributed nationally by Utz Brands. Let me ask you this, Kendra. Chips on a sandwich, yes or no? Yes, if the sandwich has meat. I've seen people put chips on a peanut butter and jelly, and I just feel like that's a little too much for me. Yeah, I would never do that. Uh... <laughs> but yes, chips do go on sandwiches. Okay, very good. Uh, should we get into this case, Kendra? I love how you ask me a question and then I answer it and you're like, that's the correct answer. Good. <laughs> do do my opinions? I don't understand. I, what is going on here? 
<laughs> the first now, time why, I, why are you questioning me? The first sen- the first full sentence that I make this whole time, and you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> All right, you you case it. No, point. I like guys. I, I know how to take feedback. Do the show. No, I like this version of John. <laughs> Some people got murdered. Oh my gosh, John! All right, is... I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna talk about this case. All right, <laughs> are we ready to settle down finally, Kendrick? God damn it! Would you settle down? This is this case is very not near and dear to you. That's the wrong phrase. Well, but this is. No, thank you for saying that. I will say this case is very important to me. This is one of the cases that I have found the most interesting. It's the most intellectually stimulating of many of the cases that I've come across. In fact, some of you, some of our longest fans, I'm talking about Melanie Melanie, Faulknerator, David J, maybe even Michael Hendricks, all the people I see live in the chats right now, because we are live folks. See, like I can touch like a pen to my eye marine's blood i'm we're live okay i don't know what else you want me to do you're always telling me to like eat eat donuts if we're live i don't have donuts right now anyway let's get to the case damn it this case was so interesting to me and so important to me that a long long time ago a bone collecting buddy of mine who is now across the dial on youtube who used to sit in this very seat you know metaphorically because she never lived in my house or anything <laughs> but she co- she she covered this case. She and Eric covered this case uh, last year. Um, it's the the Bill and Peggy Stevenson case. Now I know what you're saying like, why are we going to cover that again? Because it's me. Like I do true crime now. We've had we've had a changing of the guard, passing the baton, and I want to talk about Bill and Peggy Stevenson because it's a case that's important to me. Not only that, not to criticize because we all know that we're still buds uh, with our with the podcast that's on another channel right now. But some details got missed, and that's okay because it's like Kendra misses details all the time. Like the episode that we did last week, that person that got murdered, <laughs> they're still alive. Like Kendra totally fucked that one up. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> the look on her face right Which now. Which one? You know the the one the case we just did last week. Yeah, but which person that got murdered? Because there were like three people that got murdered. J- John John uh, Maximum John Wood. The guy, oh. you see, the federal judge that you said get, well, got killed by Charles Harrelson in 1979, he's alive and well to this day. Oh, okay. Well, you JFK know. also alive. So last week's episode, a mystery. Just total lies. Anyway, so. Some oh my facts God. Got, <laughs> some facts got missed, and we're just going to go through the case. And yes, that is why I'm a little bit excited tonight. It's not because Kendra's not going to take the lead. She is my. She is my. My, my former my former part, partner in life. Now now I we're not co-hosts, Kendra. You are the host of the show, and I'm your co-host. I'm here to, here to do the ad reads, <clears throat> and uh, to annoy you. Apparently, I mean, I hope that's my job because otherwise, I'm not going to get to do it next week. Because you know, right <laughs> I'm doing a great job. But uh, Bill and Peggy Stevenson was a case that was really really important to me, and uh, I wanted to talk about it a little bit. So I'm going to just kind of go over some of the details. You may remember. If you were listening last year or if you've listened to this case somewhere else, uh, Bill and Peggy Stevenson, uh, they were they lived in Florence, Kentucky, and their bodies were found on May 29th, 2011. Both of them, age 74, they were married just short of 55 years. Wonderful couple. Uh, they had a huge family. Uh, we'll kind of talk about that in a little bit in terms of like 
how that plays out with their family. But they're both 74 devout members of their church. I know Peggy played the organ at her church, which is kind of a lost art. A lot of churches still have organs. We don't have organ players anymore. It used to be that a woman could play a piano, and now they just turn on the Victrola. One of my favorite authors wrote that in the book, right? <laughs> Admittedly, the book was a little <laughs> bit older. Now, uh, Beth Stevenson, you know, the, the, was her daughter. And uh, she noticed that uh, they didn't come to church on the morning of May 29th. That was the day that they were found murdered. She got concerned because they're both getting older. Actually, at this time, Peggy's dad was still alive. So, you know, he's like 94. Like if he's 20 years older than Peggy and she's 74, which, by the way, Kendra, can you imagine being 74 and your dad's still alive? Like, do you have to do what he says? Like you are like you are on you are getting like Medicare and like your dad tells you to do something. You're like. Uh, Dad, I'm I'm 74. I don't have to do what you say anymore. Just like, what 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 is it like when both you and your parents are both supremely old? And what is it like when you're like four or five generations of family? I've never seen anything like that. But this is what their family's like. There's a woman. Uh, not just gonna sidetrack here for a second. There was I would a like woman to be in the episode. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you for for your permission to speak. Um, there's a. <laughs> Don't roll your eyes. There was a woman by the name of Kane Tanaka who uh, lived to be like 111 years old. She died last year, I think. And she outlived like her grandchildren or something like that. And I just think that that's kind of crazy because she outlived her own kids, obviously her parents, and like one of her grandkids. (laughs) That's like living too long, don't you think? Like to to like it's one thing to get very old and see all your friends fall away and your friends are gone, or excuse me, your family's gone and all this. But like to live to be 111, and like the whole, not only that, not only are is your family gone, meaning your parents, your brothers, your sisters, but your descendants are all gone, and like in a weird way, you're an alien. And I hear me out. I don't mean like from space, but it's like if you're 111 years old, like what year were, were you born in? Like at this rate, like you're clearly born in like 1911. Like you're growing up and it's World War One, and like you have a whole family and you're middle aged and you're about to retire by the time World War Two rolls around. And then yeah. like it's still it's still like another <laughs> 70 years and it's just like Vietnam goes on and like, you, you know, you're still like remembering like as a little girl, like the kaiser taking over germany like it's just like the world that you grew up in as a kid is not it doesn't exist anymore right like it's the culture and everything has been completely changed over and 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 gone and replaced so many times that like the world that you represent and and everything that you know is completely gone so you like you represent you're from another world in that sense you're like an alien from another planet because the planet the earth that you're from is gone anyway that's i didn't mean to dive too deep on that but i just i found that very fascinating thank you well she was like your age in the 50s oh 40s and she just died can you imagine living that that is a really really long time i think the ideal age to die is actually 40 if you ask me clocks a ticking clocks a (laughs) ticking No more, no more podcasts with John. These are going to be pure gold, by the way, in about a year once I'm gone. Like, these are going to like be non-fungible tokens or something where you can trade episodes of the John episodes of Failure to Stop. You know, the, in the broader context of season two, you know, they'll be they'll be like a, somehow a commodity. 
and uh, none of my family will profit from that, but you will. Anyway, back to the Stevenson case. Uh, so they didn't come to church one morning. So Beth, their daughter, who kind of is, they have a lot of kids, but Beth is sort of the one. She's the one that goes on all the podcasts. She's the one that like is the primary part point of contact for the lead detective on the case. In fact, Beth, the daughter, actually went to school with the lead detective. He's a guy named Detective Coy Cox. We've talked about him on the show before. He's a dogged detective at this point. Like he won't retire until he solves his case. But Beth sees that mom and dad do not come to church. So she sends her husband cj over to check on him cj um goes over to their condo and he knocks on the door and uh, when they don't answer he's concerned he also has other reasons to be concerned it's not just that they didn't show up for church and you know sometimes people take a sunday off of church that happens but everything that was going on with bill was is that he runs a trucker's church right so most days during the week out at the truck stop, he's got a converted trailer, right? They put in chairs, uh, they put in lighting, they put in paneling. And so truckers, when they're passing through Florence, Kentucky, you know, if they're going through a tough time or they just want to express uh, worship towards God or have some prayer, they have a place to go. And so it's sort of his personal ministry that he has this trucker's church, which I think is amazing. On Sundays, however, they actually have it inside the truck stop. So Bill still is kind of someone who leads the charge on this. He's very active when it comes to his uh, his leadership and his outreach. Um, he doesn't do so much stuff uh, around the house anymore. He used to live on an acreage. Being that he's 74, they kind of moved to a condo because it's like there's no more yard to take care of. And it's life's a bit easier for him and he can focus on what he needs to do. Anyway, so his trucker chapel doesn't get set up. He hasn't called anyone say, hey, can you fill in for me this Sunday? You know, uh, take over this responsibility that I have. So things aren't adding up. Uh, what does what does somebody think when this happens? If it was me, I would think that they both passed away, like from natural causes. So I know what you're thinking, like, why would both of them go? Well, I'll tell you, in real life, my, my grandparents actually both died a day apart. Like my grandfather made a promise to my grandmother that he would take care of her, that they would be together till death do us part. My grandmother passed away and less than a day later, he was gone too, because he had no more reason to be on the earth. His mission was fulfilled to take care of his wife. Could be the case with with uh, Bill and Peggy. And and I don't think I'm the only one on this. Kendra, have you ever heard before of cases where uh, very old couples, you know, people have been married 55 years, passed away very close to each other? Is that something that you've been aware of or heard before? Or am I way out here? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I've heard that from um, hospice nurses. And I've heard that from just people where they say kind of the same thing. Like my grandparents died, if not within a short amount of time, at least like a few months. And some people say it's like broken heart syndrome, right? But there have been instances where people will die the same day or a day apart, like you said. It happens. It does happen a lot, especially when they're, when both people are, they were the same age. They spent like most of their life together. I mean, I don't know if you lost somebody that was there your entire life. I would think that you would, your will to live would be kind of shattered. Very low. Point. You know, when, yeah. when you, when, when you've married someone <clears throat> and that, you know, even if it's, you're not separated by death, but say you're, you're separated by divorce and then like you have to see them every week on a podcast, like it would make you like barely <laughs> hang on, like hanging on to your life or your sanity by a greased rope. Can you imagine a thing? I mean, the only so, reason why you're here and now is because you have to by order of the court. I know. So. <laughs> like, now it's forget death though as part. I'm not even allowed to die. 
you have a legal obligation to stay alive right now. So there's literally a bailiff who's next to my bed each night with an AED. And he's going like this with his asp. He's just waiting. <laughs> Bizarre, folks. What can I say? Florida. Uh, that's a lot out here. So CJ goes over to check on him. <laughs> Unfortunately, CJ enters the apartment and what he sees uh, has, I'm sure it has marked him forever. He knows immediately there's not a medical emergency that it's not something in fact it's completely unnatural um let's talk about the dwelling that they lived in because it's key to understanding almost everything about the crime scene so they live in a condo it's kind of tucked back away in a neighborhood so they're not getting a lot of traffic in the area it's kind of a nice place condo is a secure building or is it this is something that i hear get get wrong a lot on a lot of podcasts so there's not cameras. There is a, a an entry system for the front door. So to get into the front door, you have to hit a button and you're going to connect to an intercom for the condo of your choice. So if they hit the button and got buzzed in, what does that tell you, Kendra? That they know the person. It tells you that they know the person or persons. On the other hand, we know that when it comes to controlled access to a large building, what's more often the case? What's the reality? Doors get propped open. Uh, people or people just, just follow you in. People follow someone in, right? The door is mm -hmm. held open. The door is just open. Someone holds it open for someone else. Um, something else you might see is people just hitting random buttons and people want the noise to go away. So somebody hits the door open. Uh, I don't I, I don't trust my neighbors to like put up with an irritating sound like when they could just hit the button. Here's the rub, though. Uh, we know for sure that uh, Bill and Peggy Stevenson met their murderers very, very early in the morning. In fact, it was a little after one in the morning when their attacker or attackers came to them. How do we know this? Excellent question, Kendra. One of the <laughs> two of them, and I surmise that it was probably, at one point I surmised that it was Bill, and now I surmise that it's Peggy. It really doesn't matter. But one of them had an implanted medical device possibly an implanted defibrillator and it stopped working and we because it's a machine and it's got a computer in there and a clock in there uh we know what time it stopped working so we can actually ascertain the cause of death to about 104 a.m and we know that they were not killed at the same time but one was killed shortly after the other uh, but uh, let's go back to mode of entry so we talked about the buzzer getting in the door being held open Here's the thing that really causes a problem. They live on the ground floor. Uh, they were killed in May. It's in Kentucky. Probably hot. How often are we going to have maybe a glass door open and a screen shut? Or maybe the doors open and closed because they're going in and out of the patio and it doesn't get latched. You know, you hope that they're latching that thing. But regardless of whatever control there is at the front door, with a buzzer or anything, anybody can get directly in their condo without being seen by anybody else in that building simply by going di directly in through that, that door. So what does that mean in terms of whether or not they know this person or not? Well, now all of a sudden, because of that, that patio door, it doesn't necessarily say whether or not Bill and Peggy knew the, knew their a person who entered their apartment or the people that did. We also know their time of death, as I mentioned, the implanted device. But why, why is this case so important to me? Number one, uh, it's very, very unusual 
uh, that uh, people murder in pairs. It's very unusual for them to do that. And this is what Detective Coy Cox has said. And we mentioned this in the last episode, if you listen to this one, if you've listened to other episodes about it. Bill and Peggy had to die. Both of them. Whoever it is that did this could have got Bill easily by himself if it was personal. And the way that he was murdered suggests that it was. It was blunt force and sharp force trauma, meaning he was beaten and stabbed. There were post-mortem injuries, which indicates what to you, Kendra? That they stuck around and they weren't quite done with it yet. They were very pissed off. (laughs) And it was personal. Yes. So they could have gotten Bill anywhere, particularly since he's all over the place all the time. They could have killed him out at the trucker's chapel. They could have gotten him in the trailer. Obviously, he's away all the time. Peggy's by herself a lot of the time. Uh, she's uh, she's 74. That means her kids are full-grown adults with their own families. They're not dropping in all the time. You could have gotten Peggy and Bill separately at any given time, but it was very important that both of them got murdered. They both had to die. You mentioned that they stuck around a little while after the murders. There's certain things they could tell that from the forensic evidence, and they don't release a lot of details, but they do mention this, that the person or persons who entered that dwelling and killed Bill and Peggy may have stayed up into that in that condo for up to six hours, which is a really, really long time. How do we know this? Basically, there is no crime scene. Every single thing in that condo was touched or moved uh, to frustrate an investigation or possibly to send a message. Detective Quickcock says if there is a message, it, what it is is known only to the killer, meaning it's whatever was left behind in terms of uh, an actual note or the meanings of things is so obscure that they can't tell what it means. They said that pictures were moved in certain ways. Some, some were turned away. Um, some were turned in other suggestive ways. Items on bookshelves were moved, taken to, from one place in the, in the condo to another. Items in the refrigerator were moved around. Stuff on the refrigerator was moved around. Basically, somebody, and it might have been an accomplice and not the killer themselves, this is part of the reason why we think there might be two people, changed every single aspect of every single object in that condo. Like, they just made it into a bizarre scene, meaning we can't tell if it's someone that definitely knew them or not because it's just so confusing, right? It's almost like there's so noise, so much noise that you can't hear a song over the sound of uh, of the traffic or the jet engine or whatever. Uh, everything's kind of everything's kind of washed away in chaos. I will tell you this. Bill and Peggy were found in different rooms. Like I said, one of them had post-mortem injuries, which you usually only do to someone that you have a lot of hatred for uh, because, you know, there's there's clearly no utility in going after someone who's already dead. Also, um, the blunt force trauma, the sharp force trauma, these are usually very personal ways to kill someone because you're getting up close and personal with them. Again, you're already in the condo. It's already one in the morning. Uh, you know, it's this isn't the same thing as in the daytime where so Bill and Peggy would have to let someone they know get very close to them, right? Like sometimes you see it with uh, up close and personal things, strangulation. It's uh, It can often be ind- indicative that they knew their attacker because they let them get that close to them. Not always the case. Something else to think about with Bill and Peggy being 74. What else? They're extremely vulnerable, right? Like neither one of them is going to be able to put up any kind of a fight, especially if Bill's got this implanted defibrillator and he he moved to the condo because he can't mow an acre of grass anymore. He can't keep up with the pool. 
At 74, I think we both understand reasonably that neither one of them are going to be able to put up any kind of fight. So Bill and Peggy, also, they were found in different rooms, uh, and they were staged. And we don't know exactly what that means, because, Kendra, there's what we call guilty information in a criminal investigation where we don't put out all the details, right? Because we're going to get false confessors, and we're going to get certain things where we have to keep them secret in order to, first of all, Anything very salacious in a case like this is definitely going to be uh, a big news uh, news item. Anything that's especially shocking to the conscience, the news media is going to grab on that. I mean, I don't want to get gross or graphic because I believe in not exploiting this case for sensationalism. I, I believe that Bill and Peggy were wonderful people. But even if not, they're simply people. And I don't I don't need to be mm -hmm. uh, turning their death into something that's almost clickbaitish. But if, if something like that does happen it's going to get into the news. And then like, what does that mean later when you're trying to prosecute someone for a case? We saw this to George Floyd's like sometimes judges don't always sequester a jury. And sometimes the results that you get from that, from our, what's supposed to be a fair and impartial system doesn't always work out because of the way the media works. Mm -hmm. So we've got to keep a lot of information to ourselves, particularly if we're going to be trying to go after suspects, we're going to try to eliminate people, uh, track them down. Finally, a major aspect of the case is, DNA was left behind. But so far, we have no matches. So, Kendra, what does that tell you about the DNA that was left behind? Well, it belongs, it's either not enough to get a match for someone that could potentially be in CONUS, or the match floating out there is a, someone who's never been convicted of a felony or just never had their fingerprints done or their DNA done or anything like that. Now, states vary wildly on the collection of DNA. I, I know that uh, some states have very aggressive laws about making sure that that happens upon arrest mm -hmm. of a felony. Others are more constitutionally minded where it's like, well, in the conviction of a felony, because otherwise, like, you know, anyone could be charged with a felony and you didn't do anything. And all of a sudden the government has your DNA. To me, as we all know that, like, I'm pretty libertarian. So that's like problematic <laughs> for somebody like me. But other things come up, too, like when COVID happened. And we started resuming normal operations in 2021 or whatever. All of a sudden, I'm taking calls from a lot of people saying, hey, your detective so-and-so called me and said, I need to come down to the office and, you know, give them my DNA. And I'm taking all these calls from these people. And I'm like, I realized, oh, so during COVID, we weren't collecting DNA from people. So like, I knew there was this whole period of time where we weren't sending people to jail for anything. And there's this whole period of time where like warrants weren't the paper, they weren't worth the paper they were printed on. But we also weren't doing our normal processes. So obviously, like COVID's not really a factor in, in 2011, but you should just understand that there's times where DNA is not necessarily being collected, Johnny, on the spot. And, and Kentucky doesn't necessarily have uh, the best records for that. I don't know if Boone County is good at collecting DNA or not. Here's something else. Golden State Killer identified through genetic genealogy. We think, well, you know, CODIS is one thing. It works like a fingerprint. You get an exact match. So you don't have somebody who's in the system already that we can compare to like a fingerprint. Mm -hmm. But if we put it into, say, 23andMe, Ancestry.com, maybe we can find the killer's brother, our cousin, our second cousin, our third cousin. Here's the problem. And here's something that's very interesting. And here's something that we need to do a deep dive on sometime. Detec Detective Clay Cox says that this DNA is not eligible or that kind of testing. He says it can't. you can't do phenotyping from it, meaning you can't find out the physical characteristics of the person that donated it, right? So we can't tell if like this is a, this is a, you know, I want to be careful here because there's certain things you could say that uh, 
rule things out one way or another and i frankly just don't know but you can't determine like maybe their heritage or their race or whatever um one of the other things that can muddle those is if you have the mixed dna from two different people that's what i read but that really surprises me because if you find two two sources of dna and it's mixed together wouldn't you think that a scientist would be able to tease that out kendra so do you buy that theory that it could be dna from two people mixed together um i i mean i'm not a scientist or an expert in dna but the way that dna is structured uh you can't just like mix together like that so it doesn't really make sense to me i know that when you it get a sample like if you're looking at molecules anyway it seems like you'd be able to separate them yeah you would be able to tell that this pattern matches with this piece of dna and or this fragment that's still together i, I don't know it just that doesn't like i said i'm not a scientist and i don't do dna anything so i <laughs> don't know but it sounds a little weird hey Back off, man. I'm a scientist. No. I'm okay, sorry. Uh, no, it's just that's my favorite line from Ghostbusters. But uh, which <clears throat> oh, is shit, this, I oh, yeah. you haven't seen it? I have, but I'm not like a big fan, so I don't remember things from the Oaks, movie. <laughs> Ghostbusters is the funniest movie ever made. If you agree, put a one in the chats. If you think Kendra's way off base, if you think Kendra is wrong, put a two in the chats. Um, if you just speak, I said it up so you can't win either way. I don't dislike it. I just wasn't really into it as a kid so i never really i just didn't get into it that's all <laughs> i don't want people coming for me at, for saying i don't like it all right you can come for kendra i'm going to post her address on the screen at the end of the episode so that you can address and also if you love go if you love ghostbusters send her an email at true crime underscore drama that's also something else i just want to mention right now while i forget before i forget if you have a case if you're like, hey, you guys need to do the Idaho Four, which is also already done on a Tuesday night show, or if you guys you guys need to do like uh, the the Richmond case or the whatever, I don't know what that is. When you leave that in the comments, I love getting comments from you, but it's just like I I can't conceive of what you mean by that. So send yes. send old Kendra an email. Don't send it to me. I'm useless. Send it to her. Send, give her a brief explanation of it. Maybe mention a guy's name, suspect's name. <laughs> and then like send her a source, like send her a link to an article or something like that's like a good way yes. that we would know what to do. So what what's been going on with the case? Not a whole lot. It's not it's not a cold case. Now, uh, Detective Quaycox has said that he won't retire until he solves it. Like I said, he has known their daughter since they went to school together. He's had a relationship with the Stevensons this whole time. He really respects them. I think that he feels like walking away from it unsolved would be. uh it wouldn't be fulfilling for his career. He would feel like he left something undone or something on the table. We know that recently in the Delphi murders, uh, there has been a, a, a link to this, though. So mm -hmm. the, Stevenson, the Stevensons here, as I said, they were bludgeoned and stabbed to death inside their Florence, Kentucky home in 2011. We had a link to the Delphi case. Libby German and Abigail Williams, they were found dead in a wooden area on Valentine's Day 2017, which was six years later. I believe they were found in Delphi, Indiana, which is, you know, not that far away. So Detective Cox has received tips that indicate that there's possibly a suspect who's involved with both cases. In fact, he gave him enough information where Detective Cox is actually following up on these things, going to Indiana. He talked to this person, vetted them, make sure that they were not just a crazy person. 
and what he was told was is that there's an item which sounds you know a little like a weapon sounds perhaps. a little could be a weapon could but it sounds like a little hokey right like like you're playing a video game and you need a certain item to accomplish the stage we don't know what it is obviously you can't say if it was the weapon like now we're definitely talking about a bludgeon tool or a stabbing tool or a cutting tool the case in in delphi i believe uh you'll have to correct me if i'm wrong on this and why would i even ask you that since i didn't ask you to prepare in delphi but the mode of death uh, I don't know if it was similar. I think that I think that they were cut because they had lost a, a, a significant significant amount of blood. But what's very similar? We have two people, very vulnerable, attacked when they're together, not separately. They both had to die, and there was post mortem staging. So that was that was the case in the Stevensons and also in the Delphi murders. What's different? So the victimology is different, right? You have two little girls. Uh, we have reason to believe that there was possibly a sexual assault that occurred. I don't know that for sure. So I'm just speculating. In fact, maybe I should withdraw that just because of the history of the show and people coming on and saying terrible things and speculating. Kendra, I know this is before your time, but we used to have people coming on and talking about uh, various other cases and they would say very salacious things and uh, detrimental things and uh, unkind things. And I don't want to be one of those guys. If you're in the, if you're in the wolf pack, then you remember who I'm talking about. Uh, investigative producer type people. Uh, that episode still has a, a very high number of views on this channel. Yikes! But what's interesting in the in the leak in the links between Delphi and the Stevensons is that Detective Cox has already ruled out Richard Allen as being a person who was involved in the Stevenson case. So he definitely uh, was not there in Florence, Kentucky. However, if we are looking at two people in Delphi and we're looking at two people in Florence, Kentucky and they work as a team, it's possible that Alan may be 50% of that team and may be an unknown, an, an unknown person or unknown to other people or more people may be involved. It's entirely possible. Here's something that's really interesting to me, Kendra. I know that you don't really get into uh, like uh, psychology or crime or any of the really cool stuff. I know that you, like when you, it comes to law enforcement, like what really gets your juices flowing is like the idea of like, you know, like a brake light. Murdering out. someone? You, you can get... Sir, I was going to say that you were just one of those petty traffic cops that likes to ruin people's days. To you were to, not going to say that. To get your cheap thrills for the for the slights that you suffered as an adolescent, that you were out to avenge yourself upon the world. But no, sir, I would not say that. What a scandalous thing to say. We will talk about this after the show, and I will do a lot of crying, and you will do a lot of apologizing. Yes, ma'am. And. And we will also talk to our FBI agent who watches this show just to make sure that you are not on a list. Uh, <laughs> so we have ruled, ruled out Richard Allen. But we need to talk about one last suspect in the Stevenson case. So I mentioned before that the Stevensons had a lot of families. They have like 14 grandchildren, right? That's a lot of people. Kendra, if I told you that the Stevensons had a nephew who was charged with a murder in the following year of beating a 67-year-old woman to death, that being Lee Jennings of Indiana, the same state as the Stevensons, beat her to death with a skillet and pepper grinder, which I know sounds funny, but isn't because he killed a 67-year-old woman. He was sentenced in 2013 to life in prison without parole. If I told you that their nephew, Charles Stevie Stevenson, 
was a murderer, what do you think the odds are that he wouldn't be involved in their death? That they wouldn't, that he wouldn't be involved. The odds off the bat from that information, the odds would probably be very low that he was not involved because you look at the, the mode of the killing would have been a beating. And then obviously um, the time span, it's very close together. He was comfortable enough to kill someone that he was close to. And they're closely related. And and Bill and Peggy didn't have any enemies. So you would think when someone doesn't have a lot of enemies or they don't really know anyone that would have a motive, usually you look to the family. So yeah, off the bat, you would think. And just being murdered, the odds that you have a, you have a family member that also murdered someone. But guess what? They're just totally not related. It's pretty far out there. I will tell you that uh, Stevie Stevenson has been excluded as a suspect. They're not pursuing anything related to him. Um, one thing that was mentioned was in terms of the pictures in the house that it seemed to indicate that certain people in the family were liked and certain pe- family members were disliked. So you almost wonder, is like, is this over inheritance? Is this about um, some kind of family beef? We all know that families have skeletons in their closets. I've addressed most of mine here on this show about who doesn't get along <laughs> with my mom. Um, I was telling my coworkers today that, uh, uh, when I was sick, um, you know, and, and I would, uh, my mom would give me medicine and, and I didn't, you know, Robitussin or whatever. And I would, I would react viscerally to that and I would throw it up. My mom had a, a tried and true kind of home remedy for solving, uh, little kids throwing up. Do you know what that is? It's kind of a, kind of a Southern, Southern remedy. And you're kind of a holistic person. So I, I'm guessing that you would guess this if you haven't learned this already in school. Like, how do you, what's one thing that you can use uh, to settle a child's stomach? The first thing that comes to my mind is like ginger ale or baking soda or tea. Or no, something. no, my mom would hit me. She hit me and said, don't throw up again. <laughs> so, she, so good old oh. mom, she, yeah, she would hit me. So oh. case, case in point, there's no more skeletons in, like, in my family. We know what's going on. Um, so... <laughs> Yes, yeah, very sad. Oh, poor. poor Was it young. effective? I don't throw up anymore. In fact, well. <laughs> you know, but uh, but I usually do kind of go into that like I curl into a ball afterwards because I expect something bad to happen. So the Stevensons, you know, might have some skeletons in their family. We don't know what they are. Obviously, detectives have interviewed everyone. It seems like there's nothing there. The Stevenson case remains unsolved. It remains an important case to me. The years are going by. The years are getting away. Uh, Detective Cox, uh, you know, deserves to retire. He deserves a life of his own. And I I hope that he sees the accomplishment of getting to the point where hopefully our our technology can advance, where we are able to test that DNA, where we can phenotype it, where we can uh, put it into a system like 23andMe and get something out of it. Uh, The other thing that's interesting, because I want this to be a, a new and exciting episode for you, is that we talk about how unusual this case is right? We have two people uh, killed inside a house late at night. The suspect or suspect stays inside the house uh, for a long time. This is actually not unique. There's actually several cases that are like this. I'm going to tell you now about another case that's similar, just to kind of get your juices flowing, your true crime juices. And maybe, although this case took place in Japan, uh, like in the year 2000, 24 years ago, maybe, 
Maybe there's someone in our audience who knows what happens to the Setagaya family. Okay, so in that case, we had a husband and a wife, Mikio and Yasuko, and their daughter Nina and their son Rai. They were murdered during a home invasion uh, by an unknown assailant. They determined it was someone the family did not know, who then remained in the house for several hours before disappearing. That person remains unidentified to this day. Japan launched its largest investigation in their history. Uh, I believe even today there's still 35 inv investigators who are assigned to this case, even though it's 24 years old. Uh, over the years, they've had as many wow. as 40 active detectives uh, who are working on it. But I'll run you through what happened. So at 1040 in the morning on the 31st of December 2000, the last day of December, the bodies of 44-year-old Mikio Maziwa, 41-year-old Yasuka Maziwa and their children, eight-year-old Nina and six-year-old Rai, were discovered by uh, Yasu Yasuko's mother, Haruko, at their house uh, in the neighborhood. She lived nearby, and these are in the western suburbs of Tokyo. And please also excuse me if I mispronounce something. I actually am like a Philistine. I'm not terribly, you know, cultured, so I apologize. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> So here's the sab here's the, the interesting. Okay, so Mikio, Yasuko, and Nina had all been stabbed to death while Rai had been strangled. So Rai's the youngest. He's the boy at six years old. Uh, so the Tokyo Metropolitan Police Department uh, concluded that the murders occurred right around midnight between December 30 and, and December 31, 11.30 p.m. to 12.05. Uh, and, and then afterwards, the killer stayed in the house for several hours, they say up to as many as 10 hours, from one to 10 hours. The killer entered through the open window on the second floor bathroom at the rear of the house. So this is interesting in contrast to the Stevenson case where they obviously, they could either come through the front door of the buzzing system or through a patio door. This guy climbed up, went through a second floor bathroom window and uh, gained access by climbing a tree on the outside and then removing the window screen, right? So he's coming in fairly quiet late at night. He comes in, goes into the, the room of the boy, Rye, six years old, sleeping in his bed, and strangles him, which is sickening. I don't know what kind of person you are if you see a child sleeping in a bed and your, your first thought is to go over and strangle him. So Mikio, his mother, hears this, and then uh, she runs up to try to save her son. She and the suspect engage in a fight in which uh, she was injured. She was uh, stabbed in the head with a sashimi knife, which is a knife that is used to cut like, del delicate fillets of fish. Sushi. Like, yes. Uh, so the knife broke off in her head during the struggle. Uh, she was killed. And at that point, the suspect went to the rest of the house and killed the father and killed the sister. So he killed... Uh, Yasuko and Nina, and Nina was only eight. So I don't know the exact order whether or not he went after the father first, but so he strangled the son and, and essentially stabbed to death. And he went after the father and the, and the daughter with uh, a broken knife, I believe. Uh, no, they attacked Yasuko and Nina with a broken knife and then used, gosh, no, what happened exactly? The killer... The, attacked Yasuko Nina with a broken knife and then used the Santuku knife. Okay, so he had two knives mm. at that point. So Santuku is actually my favorite knife. It's actually really good for like cutting up vegetables and stuff. So it's really bizarre that both of these are like kitchen knives. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, where did it, he get them? 
Well, they might have just come from the kitchen, but you got to remember right. he came in through the window. So he came he came packing him, right? And especially if, if he's totally upstairs at this point, I can only presume the kitchen's downstairs. So he remained in the house for two to 10 hours. He used the family's computer, which in the year 2000, even having a home computer, they were kind of becoming common at that point. Maybe in Japan, they were probably a little bit ahead of us in terms of the home tech industry. He drank four bottles of barley tea. Uh, he ate some melon. Four ice creams from the refrigerator. He used their toilets. He left feces in it without flushing. He then began to treat his injuries from the knife fight. Like, obviously, he just put up a fight with three people, two of which were adults. And so he got diced up a little bit. He left blood behind, which was a blood type that was not the same as the family. He took a nap on the sofa in the second floor living room. Drawers were open on the desk. Papers were ransacked. Some of these papers were dumped into the bath, into the toilet. So it's like, what is he looking for? Now it seems like it's not, now it seems like it's not like a creepy, creepy murder spree or mass murder or even a family beef where it's possibly a family annihilator. Now it seems like it's a robbery who's going after something. Here's the thing. Some money was taken, but even more money was left behind. So that makes no sense, right? Like if someone was even yeah. trying to stage a robbery, why would they leave more money behind? Also something I'd like to know, I can only take them at their word that they know that this is the additional money was left behind. Perhaps all the bills that he left there uh, had his fingerprints on them. I mean, that's entirely possible that they were able to 100% or the, or the blood had, or excuse me, the money had blood on it. So they were uh, ascertained that this was blood that was definitely from the killer. I'm not sure how they ascertained how family money was, was taken. Uh, but the killer also left behind 10 items. One of the knives, a scarf, a hip bag, which is like something that goes over your shoulder and like you would carry books in it, like a man purse or something, <laughs> a sweater, a jacket, hat, gloves, shoes, and two handkerchiefs. This guy like definitely was dressed for the weather. Apparently it's cold in December in Japan, which I guess mm -hmm. you would just about imagine being in the Northern Hemisphere. So this guy left the scene and he left a lot of clothes behind. So he had to be walking away somewhere early in the morning or perhaps later if he was there as long as 10 hours. Like we're talking the sun's up at that point, even in December. They analyzed the dad's computer. They revealed that it had connected to the Internet at 118. So that would have been shortly after the homicides took place. And again, at around 10 a.m., when Yasuku's mother entered the house and found all the family dead. So they, they, she, the mother-in-law or the mother became suspicious about when she tried to call and there was no answer. So the killer also unplugged the phone line. So here's something else that's interesting. He's connecting to the Internet, but also at some point he unplugs the phone. In 2000, it's still dial-up, right? Like, am yeah. I wrong on that, Kendra? So. No. He's using the internet, but he's also unplugging the line at some point when she's calling. But if the, if the computer also is reconnecting to the internet at 10 in the morning, then he's plugged it back in and he's he's surfing the information super highway 10 hours later, you know, after he initially used the computer. So now he's in the house 10 plus hours. They say that it could have been the connecting to the internet could have been triggered if she comes in and bumps the mouse and it wakes up the computer, then like, you know, it might have refreshed a website. So that's possible. But again, with the phone line being unplugged, 
you know, we know that he spent significant time in the house. So they've, uh, they've obviously, they spent a lot of time investigating this and they've discovered a lot of clues about his identity, but they don't, they've been unable to apprehend anybody about this. So here's the gross part, but you have to do this, right? Like you're definitely going to investigate the turds. Yes. <laughs> they, they found that he was eating string beans and sesame seeds the day before, which is a very typical Japanese diet. I mean, like go to a Japanese restaurant, you're going to find that on most every plate. It's a very common side and you're going to get sesame seeds and a lot of things they found that the knife that was left behind the sashimi knife that that was uh purchased in kangnawa prefecture which is like one of their states so it's like a, a specific area of japan where it was purchased they uh they based on the sweater they were able to figure out that only 130 of those were made 130 folks japan is one of the most densely populated countries on earth and there's only 130 of these sweaters in a true crime podcast on NCIS, that would be it. You would be able to reduce 130 down to five. Three of those guys would be dead. And then like one of them like would definitely not be it for some other reason. He was like, he was on the space shuttle at the time or something. Like we definitely know it's not him. Like uh, it would be really easy. So they were only able to track down 12 people who bought the sweaters. So less than 10%, they were able to figure out who bought these sweaters. Here's something that's really interesting. If you want to know how hard they worked, they found trace amounts of sand inside that hip bag. They were able to determine that the sand came from the Nevada desert in the United States. More specifically, wow. the, the area of Edwards Air Force Base in California. So kind of on the Nevada, California desert area. Do we have another Air Airman Hall of Famer? I was going to say, like, is this an Air Force guy? There are Air Force bases over there. And thank you for getting <laughs> to this. So the blood that's left behind, we know that it's a different type than the family. Uh, he obviously got dusted up quite a bit. They're saying that he possibly is partially of Japanese descent, but that he also has European descent on his mother's side. Why is that interesting? In the United States, that would be like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of a cool factoid. Like, when we have a suspect in front of us, that's something that we might use to, like, confirm that. Guys, Japan is a homogenous culture. They're not a melting pot like the United States, right? The United States had Native Americans here, and then Europeans got here, and then, you know, like Mexicans were down south, and then mestizos were there where you have Mexicans and Native Americans sort of interacting. And then you have people from Spain who, like, colonized Portugal and parts south and migrated north. And then you had African slave trade, and then you had Chinese people coming in, and then you had the Irish coming into New York. <laughs> we have all these people in this country, right? Which is why we have some of our problems. Or so the media would have you believe. Japan's not like that. They have been for thousands and thousands of years the home of Japanese people. It doesn't mean that there's not other than other people besides Japanese there, but they're really not a mixed race country like we are. So if you have someone who is of mixed race, that person would tend to stand out like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. And so if you're investigating and you can determine like, hey, this person is definitely a mixed race. Now, all of your suspects who are 100% Japanese, you're able to exclude a huge portion of people because most people in Japan are Japanese. So is this person a serviceman? Did, did he come over from Edwards Air Force Base? Here's something that else that's interesting in regards to the sand. If you ever wondered how well we can analyze sand. Again, this seems like something from a TV show. Comes from Edwards Air Force Base, Nevada Desert, and a skate park in Japan. So at some point, sand from the Nevada Desert was brought over to Japan to put in a skate park, and it's that same sand. So could be a serviceman, could be someone who likes to skate, 
in Japan. And I'm guessing in 2000, <laughs> cameras probably weren't as prevalent. I'm sure they weren't. They probably didn't exist at all in the public square like they do now. Yeah. So the DNA, the fingerprints didn't match anybody in their databases. And the same thing as the Stevenson's, right? Indicates that there's the person who committed this crime has no criminal record. Uh, based on certain aspects, I assume blood spatter, the size of the window, uh, especially if the window is left open. Uh, they know how tall he is, 170 centimeters. I'm like 197 centimeters. So he's like significant. He's like average height. Thin build. Uh, they estimate that he was born between 1965 and 85 because to do this, he had to be about 15 to 35 years old at the time of the incident. Uh, and because he needed to be able to climb that tree to get inside. I guess when you're 35, they just assume you can't climb a tree and get into a window. Someone who's 39, I can tell you, I'm not, I'm not able to climb a tree anymore. Like recently I was disc golfing and like for years in my twenties, like I, I play at this park, it's right by the interstate. And it has this chain link fence and they cut the chain all weird. So it's all spiky on top because they hate, they hate disc golfers like me. These discs cost like 15 to $20. If you get a nice one, I used to always go over the fence and cut myself to hell or at least try. Now that I'm almost 40, if a disc goes over, I'm like, my game's over and I fucking go home. I don't even like walk around the fence to go get it. Not so that shit. So <laughs> I think there's psychological profilers here have it right. They're like, well, although someone who's 40 years old would be physically capable of this, no one over 35 is actually going to try it. At that point, if they're older than 35, they're not going to go up the tree. They're going to go the lazy way. They're just going to kill someone who has an entry point on the first floor, or they're going to make use of that entry point. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? So uh, they know how about how old he was. Um, they also know that based on the knife wounds, the killer's probably right-handed. That's something that's pretty easy to tell that, you know, from slashing marks and things like that, that that killer is going to be right-handed. Uh, we said they had type A blood, didn't belong to any of the family, that he's possibly a mixed race. We already mentioned all that. Possibly from the South European country near the Mediterranean or the Adriatic Sea. So we're talking about maybe a, a Greek guy or Italian guy, uh, something like that. Uh, but that his father's side is of East Asian descent. So maybe he doesn't stick out like a sore thumb, but maybe like a tender thumb. <laughs> uh, but somewhere along in that Y chromosome, he's got some uh, some European DNA. It's also possible that uh, he may no longer be in Japan, particularly if he is in the Air Force or a service member. So this was the largest investigation in Japanese history. At one point, uh, the investigation had involved and Kendra I know that uh, as a as a street cop, you're not someone that never really cared about like the clerical side of it. You're not someone who cares about chain of custody or signing off on forms or the boxes that go to the warehouses. But can you imagine if you were like an evidence tech and you had to maintain all this stuff and it contained the signatures of 246,044 investigators who had collected over 12,545 pieces of evidence. Is that pain in your voice that I'm hearing there? Yeah. I don't know how you feel anything for those chumps that work in the office. The only way to be a law enforcement officer is to be sworn. I hate the civilian people. They think they're so important. <laughs> they're not. They're support services, so they need to support us. That's what they're there for, to support As a, as a 911 me. police dispatcher, I promise you I am there, not there to support you. Please get, on your own, <laughs> please get on your own computer and run your own thing. There's three of you on scene. You One of you can get in the car and run a driver's license. It's fine. 
as of a couple years ago, they issued they they still there's still a reward of uh, 20 million yen, which I think is by now based on Bidenomics, it's probably like 50 million dollars. So that's if the information leads to the arrest of the killer. Uh, there's still, like I said, 35 officers working at full time. They've decided to demolish the house. Obviously, no one's lived there for some 24 years. The family doesn't like that. Obviously, the house is sort of a monumental memorial. If you knock that down, you know, is the memory going away? Does it make it easier to ignore that? Um, the police department still, uh, they hold a lot of functions on the memorial. They, they remember the family. Uh, this case has gained a lot of traction in the media over in Japan. Like I said, it's the largest investigation that they've ever had. They've reached out to investigators from other countries. A lot of documentaries have been made about it. So it's like it's like one of their most prominent cases. It's like I would I would compare it to like one of ours, but who, what really compares, right? Like one of our like uh, most compelling or like well known un- unsolved cases is probably like what Jean Benet Ramsey. Well, Lizzie Borden. We should do Lizzie Borden on this show because I don't know much about it. It's um, technically unsolved, I believe. And what do you mean, Lizzie family. Borden did it? There's a rhyme about it. You just <laughs> well, I say it's you unsolved. You just drew breezied me, where you rob my mind of memories <laughs> and thoughts and well, make me look like an oaf. I say it's unsolved. Uh, now you're making me doubt myself because there's a theory. There's a very strong, strong theory that she did not do it. But I don't. I, I get so sick of your your radical pro Lizzie Borden rants. Yes, I do. I do rant about. Now her you're going to say Joan of Arc wasn't on a mission from God, like if, you know you're only the Blues Brothers were on a mission from God. I legitimately that reference, and you are now back in my good graces. But if you like that Dan Aykroyd <laughs> movie, I suggest you check out another one called Ghostbusters. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Else, you know what else is a surprisingly good Dan Aykroyd movie that nobody on this earth likes but me. Dragged it, the one he made with Tom Hanks. You haven't seen it. I'm indifferent. Uh, I've seen it. I'm. I. Oh, you. You just don't think it's a good. I've. Okay. I don't. I. <laughs> okay. I'm not really a movie buff. Like I like. I like certain movies and I like certain genres. I just don't. You know. You're very. You know, now, you're very well know, educated on that. Now I know why things didn't work out between us. I'm so I'm sorry. I was doing other things as a kid. I, I wonder if I could. I wonder if I could get that bailiff who stands beside <laughs> my bed at night to watch a movie with me. I thought you were going to say the bailiff from um, Night Court. The judge, no, the one that murdered his wife. Oh yes, what was his name again? Rodney something or another. No, right? it was it was it was Pernell Spivey or something. Yes, something How like do that. You remember that. Because he has the most bailiffy name ever, and I went like, if I I went like this, I'm having a boy. He's going to be a bailiff when he grows up. What's his name? Renard uh, Spivey. Name. Renard that... Spivey. Yes. <laughs> Guys, this show's brought to you by Renard Spivey. He was sat on Christina's <laughs> court, enforcing the law, killing his wife. <laughs> Ultimate irony is what uh, brings this show to you, folks. If you have a case, a classic case that you would like us to revisit, even if it's something that was maybe handled on the old true crime show. You want to hear Kendra's take on it or you want to see me like get high and talk about it like I did tonight. Uh, send Kendra an email. You could actually DM me if it's about an old case because like Kendra didn't watch every single episode of uh, Night Shift like I did. Uh, so, you know, just let her know. Or let me know and we can recover it, particularly if there's a case that's uh, got some uh, new developments. And I, I know Kendra and I are uh, always looking for new cases. We're looking forward to covering uh, a recent case. 
uh, coming up here shortly. Uh, Kendra, do you have anything else to leave the audience on? Maybe a maybe a story of a story of a good thing I once did, or anything positive. Um, I I do want to just clarify real quick that my email is true crime drama with no underscore. At it has an underscore. Not in who the have I been emailing? Not me. There's no underscore. There's an underscore in my tr in my um. Ah, uh, yeah, my uh, Instagram. <laughs> That has an underscore in it. There's no underscore in the, in the Gmail. And just, um, know, go ahead. No, just so many marks are superfluous. Okay, backslant. Um, <laughs> what well, was it? It was a joke because it's not. I know. It's not. Um. <laughs> I guess we're not going to have typography jokes here. Folks, that was the most ironic and funny typography joke that you've ever heard. You just didn't know it. He, John has tried very, very hard to get me to enjoy his typography humor. Typography humor. Can't even say it. And I have appreciation for him telling them to me. But I have yet to find the joy. Other than watching him feel joy about it. Um. It kind of goes over my head because I wasn't as smart or as cool as John is. So, no, you know. you're just you're just a cop. You didn't have to be smart. Whenever you didn't know something, you just got to ask a dispatcher. All right, folks. This I made this. C's in high school. That's the joke, right? Uh, I bet you were. I bet you were an A plus student in high school, and so was I. I just, you know. I went to high school and they were still teaching stuff. Folks, this has been <laughs> Stop True Crime Tuesday. We appreciate you watching as always. How do I normally end the show? Don't I normally? Oh, yeah. The show's a whole bunch of a whole, whole bunch of shit, right? So yeah. tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow, uh, what day is today? T tomorrow today, is. Today's, tomorrow's Wednesday. Tomorrow's Wednesday is last call. So you get last call. And then on Thursday, you get all the sports you need. We're going to be reacting to that Super Bowl, which, man, what a turd of a Super Bowl we just got to see, Kendra. I, I know. know if you, I don't know if you watched it, but, man, what a, one of the worst Super Bowls Can you ever. believe that Travis Kelsey proposed to Taylor Swift? Can you believe she said no? I'm just kidding. <laughs> then on Friday, there's going to be some breakdown of some kind, and then we'll catch you all back next week with Uncuffed. We appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to the show. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you keep up with everything going on around here. Follow uh, us. Email us. Follow us. Email us. Uh, Five-star rating and review. Pay us $600 and we'll... We will FaceTime we'll you. six. Yeah. Yes. Did we come up with our strategy for what we're doing for the, the FaceTime with them? Are we doing that together or separately? I bet they don't want both of us. Probably just want so you. So if you... No. If they, if they pay for... Okay, here are the options. If you pay $600 and you only want one of us, then we have to send you a gift. If you want to talk to both of us, <laughs> then it's 300. You get an hour, you get an hour for 600 plus a gift for one of us. What is a and gift by the way? Like is it like is it like an autograph drawing of of one of my drawings? Like that's a gift, right? Yeah. Good, because I could like pay, I could like print that out at work. It costs me nothing. If you want to split your time, then we each get three hundred of that six hundred, and you get a half hour with both of us. Half hour each. I feel filthy right now. I just 
totally gross. Folks, you have, we have just been hoarded out by Kendra Drama. Thank you for listening to True Crime. That's $10 a minute. <laughs> Kendra just evaluated herself and she realized, no offense to Kendra, that she's not worth $10 a no minute. No offense to me, but... No offense no. to me. I'm not worth that either. There's so many people who talk to me every week for free. Can you believe my constituents? They all just get to just call in and talk to me about their burning barns and whatever else. Um, <laughs> Yes, just dial 911. You get to talk to me. Thanks so much for watching the show this week, everybody. We appreciate you hanging out in the chats. Uh, See Kendra about that special deal. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and (laughs) say maybe that uh, I'm not participating in that. On the other hand, if $600 shows up, $600 is $600. Slide into my DMs. I will send you my Venmo information just in case, like, whatever. You know what? Who knows what will happen? Guns up, giddy up. (laughs) Stay safe. Make good decisions. That's from Ghostbusters 2. I've been quoted Ghostbusters 2 this entire time, Kendra. I believe you. <laughs> Say your sign off so the show can end. Um, don't get true crimed. And uh, whatever, man. Whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs>